0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 396, for Monday, May 7th,
1: 2012.
0: Greetings, <laughs> folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, we answer some questions, you send in your tips, we provide some tips, and together we all add some cool stuff found to the mix. We call it the Mac E-Cab, and we all try to learn a little something new each time around. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Outstanding.
2: How are you doing today, John? Excellent. Oh, I had a nice bike ride this morning. Oh, that's good experimented with a uh, a gadget, which, of course, uh, we're going to talk about and cool stuff found. But no, not no, talk now. about it now. Go. Oh, here we go. I'm going to talk go? about it now. Yeah, sure. mix things up here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, you and I constantly get, you know, bombarded with all these toys that, you know, people want us to... Not toys, I'm sorry, technology that people would like us to... It's uh, toys, like job. To, Yes, but, you know, we have to be professional here.
1: Right, professional Well, no, toys. but it's
2: technology. So this is something that actually I had uh, seen last year and had one sent to me, but then... Um, and unfortunately it got kind of cold here, but it's uh, it's from iBike. So iBike is a company that makes these little bicycle computers. And the particular thing that I have is called the iBike, I think, dash CC, because what it does is it... it, it so it's a combination of a case... And then you use your iDevice, either an iPhone or a iPod Touch, uh, though you lose some functionality, obviously, uh, most notably GPS if you just use an iPod Touch. Uh, the one cool thing is, so, you know, I put this into the, the special case, which I guess has a dock connector or it has some electronics in there. And as soon as I put it in there, it says, oh, this accessory needs some software. Would you like me to go to the app store and download it? I'm like, oh, that is cool. It's the first time I've ever seen something do that. Cool, how cool? cool? Because I was wondering, I'm like, well, where's the software? I mean, they didn't include it. I mean, what's going on here? So, so that was really neat. Um, And then they give you also a sensor that you put on your, uh, your tire, the, the, you know, you put a little magnet and it detects the uh, rotation, you give it, you know, the size of your tires and, and stuff like that. Uh, but the cool thing is, so it'll tell you, you know, based on the, the rotation, you know, your speed, and then also with the GPS, uh, it can tell you your, so basically it measures two things throughout your trip, or three things, I, I thought it was just two, so, so once you're done, you, you can send the ride data to your computer and use their software, and it shows you your speed and your elevation throughout your ride, but then you can export the data, from, let's see, so I think they have a proprietary, I think it's somewhat proprietary type of file called a IBD file. But then what you can do with that data is export it to a different format here. And let me find it. Uh, where the heck is it? I bike rides To a KML file. And that's a file that you can load into Google Earth, and it will show you your route superimposed on Google Earth. Huh. Which is really really pretty darn cool i think that's really cool so if you find it particularly cool or you know you wondered you know maybe you were wandering about and had no idea where you were uh but this thing records from start to finish uh the, the coordinates uh, of your your ride that's awesome wow that's pretty cool man yeah, I thought it was. Their, their software, um, I, uh, I, I get an uneasy feeling using their software. It, it, it doesn't do what I expect it, at times, but, uh, but the core functionality looks very cool. So, uh, you know, a really great tool. If, uh, and, and also while you're riding, it'll show you, you know, it can show you a map as well. So, you know, if you do get lost, you can get back, uh, get back to where you're going. So right. it's, a, it's a neat tool. I forget how much it is. I thought it was a hundred bucks, maybe. or No, two hundred bucks. So it includes a case and then, you know, you can download the software. So, and it's a, you know, ruggedized case, uh, you know, looks weatherproof, but you can still operate your, uh, your device when it's inside of this thing.
0: From, from so. iBike, from iBikeSports.com, it is $169, $169, um, might be cheaper elsewhere. And, and we can thank the uh, team that's mowing my lawn now for the, the background music. I'll call that. Oh Yeah yeah okay it's Good. less okay i I got a match here okay i got yeah. a, I guess the retail is one or they had a price drop so no this is not well this is on their website so i would assume that uh that's them so yeah. okay but yeah they, they might have had a price drop right you got it last fall yeah well I, the the price i paid
2: was was
0: no <laughs> yeah no i know they sent it to you but I'm, I'm saying in the materials you got from them last fall it might have been it might have they might have dropped the price yeah cool all right. You know, um, I so we might as well do some cool stuff found here. We might as well mix things up. But uh, also one of the things you mentioned reminded me of a thing that I had added for cool stuff found, which I have placed an order for real live cash money, but uh, but have not gotten yet because it's not out yet. And it's this new Pebble watch. Uh, this thing's pretty cool, John. Have you, have you seen this pebble? It's, it's actually being funded via Kickstarter. They, I mean, they had a goal of, I don't know, something ridiculous, like $150,000 or something. And they, they're already up well over, uh, I, I think they were well over 8 million. The last time I looked, I'll look now. Yeah, they're almost that's, at 9, almost at 9 that's million. That's
2: all I heard about it really, is that it? it it's way, it, it may be like the top. Oh, it is. Uh, as far as attracting funding, it may be the, the the highest, uh, you know, the highest amount of money that any project on Kickstarter has uh, has accumulated. Um, so I looked the, it over. The, you know, I wasn't too crazy
0: about it. Well, because, and let, let mean, me it explain. D- let me explain what Kickstarter is, so that, in case people don't know, um, Kickstarter is a service, a website that people can use if they have an idea and they want to get funding for it. They essentially offer the ability for people to send you send them money for a project. Now, in most cases that money is uh, goes toward the purchase of whatever that product is, but not necessarily you can, you know, there, there have been projects where it's like, yeah, I just want to contribute some cash to this. And there's some level at which you can do that. And, and, and so there's various levels that you can contribute uh, on this particular project. But the cool thing about this is that it is, it, it's a, it's a watch. Now, you know, those of you that know me know I'm, I'm kind of a mechanical watch freak. This has nothing to do with a mechanical watch other than it, it straps to your wrist. It uses e-paper. So it, the screen is always on, but it's uh, programmable and also syncs with your iPhone via Bluetooth and, or, or your iPod touch or or I think there's an Android version. Yeah. So you can get it. it well, it's not a it's not a version. It, the same watch will work with iPhone or Android via Bluetooth. And there are there's apps for your phone and there's also apps for the watch. Uh, and one of them is an app that, that reminded me of what you're doing here, where you, you put your iPhone in your pocket or whatever, and you have the watch on and it tracks your bike ride and, and does all this other stuff for you. So I, uh, I, I I signed up to buy one of these things and I'll get it in whatever September when they when they come out. But it's a it's a cool thing, even if you're not interested in purchasing one. Check out the, the video at, uh, at Kickstarter dot com. All right. No, uh, yeah, it is a Kickstarter. We'll put a link in the show notes to get you straight to the pebble.
2: Yeah, I thought uh, my only reservation is, uh, you know, my mind to watch shouldn't have a lifespan or battery. <laughs> I mean, this thing, I think you got to charge it like once a week or something yes, like th- that. That's true. You do need to charge it. That's right. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah. So to me, that's that's the only potential downside. And, and it, I don't know if it looked entirely comfortable, but we actually, the, the first I ran into Kickstarter, I guess you could call them kind of like a virtual VC system. And that you ask people for money to fund your product development, and if they send enough in, then yep, yeah, the product gets developed, and you you typically are one of the first in line to get one.
0: That's right, yeah. And and if the product doesn't get funded, no one's money is spent. So if they hadn't hit their hundred thousand dollar goal, uh, which obviously obviously they have, and and they're going to go ahead and build these things. But uh, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I um. I I looked from on first glance, it looked like it might be a little uncomfortable and it may be. It looked actually a little tall. It looked large. But uh, but I compared its measurements to, uh, you know, watches that I wear regularly. And it it actually seemed about the same uh, dimensions, certainly the same height as, uh, you know, from lug to lug of uh, of watches that I've worn. So. So, yeah. So I'm actually looking forward to it. It should be a fun little fun Mm -hmm. little toy, if nothing else. Yeah, the first we ran into that,
2: Well, I remember now is that uh, the, the, it was, uh, I think, two Macworlds ago, the the Glyph, mm-hmm. and I actually wrote a little article about this and mm-hmm. highlighted Kickstarter, but this is a um, a combination stand and tripod mount for the iPhone 4, mm-hmm. and they did the same thing, and it was just, a, the, to me, the cool part of the story was how these guys... Uh, brought together the whole production of their product uh, so quickly. I think they went from concept to getting funding, to getting prototypes, uh, you know, outsourcing a lot of stuff to, uh, I think it was like five months. Yeah. So, so that was a cool and Kickstarter, of course, you know, um, you can, you can hear all about that, that. that in Mac geek of three twelve. Oh, you found it. I did. Great. Yeah. All I'll right. I to the article too. Cause he yeah, had did a little article about that. Cause it just really impressed me. And it's the first time I saw the square device. I saw these guys taking orders on the show floor and I'm like, wait, wait, what's that thing you got stuck in your iPad? It's like, oh, it's a square. You haven't seen this? I'm like, no, that's another one that I really like square. I don't know if you fiddled with Mm -hmm. one of those.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I am. I'm just letting the, the, uh, the, uh, what do we want to call this? The, the ADD train go. All right. Back, back (laughs) on whatever track we, uh, we think we're on here. No, it's it's good. You want to tell them about the more about the square thing, or are you good? Square. I'm trying to figure. A square is it's a, a small? credit card. It's a credit card swiper for the iPhone.
2: Yes, and I think and do they have it for Android now? Perhaps. Yeah. Yes, they do. I think they may. So what they do? So it's a combination. It's a piece of hardware that plugs into the uh, headphone or speaker jack on your iDevice, device. So I imagine what they're doing is they're converting the magnetic data to sound data and then somehow uh you know, and I try taking one and putting it into like a speaker system to see if I can hear the sound. So I, I don't know exactly what they're doing. But yeah, but but the, the revolutionary part about this is as opposed to what small businesses typically have to go through to, to process credit cards, is that you don't have to rent a terminal. You don't have to and, and the, the the formula is very simple. They grab Uh, They used to have, I think, a transaction fee and a percentage fee. Now I think it's just a straight percentage. So whatever it is, I think, uh, you know, if you go to your website, they see, but I thought it was like two point something percent or three something percent. But it's so simple because the thing is, there's again, there's no membership. You're not renting anything. You you cannot use it for months and you don't get any sort of penalty and you're not paying any sort of uh, you know recurring fee here. Yep. Uh, it was just a real breakthrough to allow pretty much anybody to, to take a credit card for for not an outrageous fee, including individuals. Well, I mean, you to, know, when I got it, the first thing I did is I scanned my credit card and it credited my bank account like a day later, minus the transaction fee. And I'm like, wow, that's real easy
0: to, to be fair. This this adds the ability to do this on the fly with an iPhone. That that's actually the big deal, because for uh, small businesses, a uh, uh, well, you could do this with PayPal for the last five, maybe to 10 years And any business. Any person could take a credit card and and uh, take benefit from PayPal's ridiculously low uh, merchant uh, pricing and all that stuff. So so the really the big deal with, with Square was that it added the ability to do this totally on the fly. And like you said, you do if you're swiping it, there is no per transaction fee. If you're typing the number in, there is a per transaction fee of, of 15 cents. But uh but oh, yeah. right. And yeah, actually, so cool I'm stuff. on their
2: page now. So iOS and the little robot. So it's Android, uh, yep. Visa, MasterCard, Amex and Discover. And it's a flat 2.75 percent. Yep. Which I'm sure upsets a lot of the other it's, people it, certainly yeah. that certainly charge more.
0: Well, that's that's actually kind of high for. Um, oh, OK. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's it's not terrible, but it it's kind of high. Yeah. Yeah. You could you could certainly get lower if you went and got your own merchant account, which really it, it, it really isn't difficult. I've, we've, we've got one for Mackie actually. So it's, it, you know, we've got one for backbeat media. It's easy
2: anyway. Oh, sure. But I think yeah. the breakthrough now is that they offer something called square register, which turns your iPad into basically a point of sale terminal. And that's yep. really new that they rolled that out. Yeah. So, uh, but it's cool. I mean, you, you, you can go to their webpage squareup.com com, and you can order and the reader free. That's the other thing. You're not paying anything for the reader. Yeah. Well, because they make the
0: money on the transaction it, fee. It's absolutely all right, well, we're just going with cool stuff found. There's one actually that I've been wanting to mention for a little while here, and that is the iFrog Summit iPad case. You know, I was a big fan of the uh, and still am a big fan of of the MagFolio from spec. But because the uh, new iPad is 10 percent thicker, uh, which amounts to what three millimeters or something, uh, but because it's 10 percent thicker than the old one, uh, Cases with very tight tolerance, like the Magfolio, do not fit on it. Um, and and Speck has assured me that they're working on a new one. And, I, you know, hopefully we'll see it soon. But in the interim, it's kind of nice because it's forced me to to check out other cases because the iPad really isn't functional uh, for me anyway without a case and something to hold it up and stand it up. But um, I, I like it. It's it's a li- it's a folio style case. It works. Uh, it's got the little magnet in the in the and it works properly with the iPad 3. The, the magnets do. Uh, So when you open it up or close it, it uh, it, uh, you know, activates and deactivates the screen. Uh, It's a little thicker than you uh, would get with with like the mag folio, which is what I was used to. But it's it's thicker in a way that actually makes it feel very sturdy. So once I got over the thickness, I I've really come to kind of like this thing. It feels very secure uh, when it's in there. My really my only complaint about it. uh, I have two. number one, the magnet. Uh, and the iPad isn't really strong enough to keep the the, the the lid from flopping open. It doesn't wrap around. It's just on it. So sometimes that's a problem. Uh, the other problem I will, I will illustrate audibly here. It, it, in order to uh, s- sit it up on the case, you have to kind of flip it away from the back of the case, which is fine. It's how most of these folio cases work. But this one has Velcro to keep that from happening accidentally. But that's a problem if you're say in a library or if i'm reading on my ipad in bed and you know lisa's asleep or whatever because there's this sound and it's pretty thick velcro you know that that's pretty loud so uh so that that's you know that's my only uh my only real complaint about it i like it it's uh it's not a bad case and i i think it's 60 bucks at uh at ifrogs this is the iFrog summit case and then i think you can get like you could spend more on it and get real leather mine mine just has you know pleather faux leather or whatever they call it but it it looks fine and it's sturdy and all that good stuff so that's the iFrog summit case you got anything else on uh on your cool stuff found there list there john or should i just read absolutely what we've got from listeners all right go well i'm gonna
2: toss in one more here so it's another toy yeah <laughs> that I got. So I recently did a review of the uh, Samsung 470 series SSD. And it's very nice. <coughs> Excuse me, very fast. Um SATA 2 and now they have a, a new one the 8 something series that's SATA 3, uh which didn't make much difference because my machine. My Mac Pro is SATA 1 and my Mac Mini is SATA 2. Uh but still uh, fastest uh, one of the fastest uh, SSDs that you're, you're going to get out there uh, very light uh, the only downside as with any SSD is uh, you're going to pay um, so then
0: you know I keep hearing uh, what, what so are they going to compl- pay John <sighs> well, <I'll laughs> you, can't, look you can't very well say they're going to pay and then you know uh,
2: I, I think no when I looked at so the 800 series I think if you wanted to get a 512 gig of the 800 series the latest one I think you were talking almost a thousand dollars so. Okay. All right. One of their products, uh, uh, high-end products with, with the, the largest capacity retailed for almost a thousand bucks. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Again, it, it, way more expensive than a, a rotational drive. But then, you know, I keep hearing about this and, you know, I decided, uh, you know, I went to the uh, uh, very well-maintained database that we keep with all our secret contacts of so people in the industry we can ask to give us stuff. And, uh, and I went in there and I'm like, yeah, you know, I want to, uh I want to contact Seagate or Seagate PR. And, you know, so I wrote a note and said, uh, yeah, you know, I hear about this moment, momentous XT hybrid SSD. Can you get one out to me? And they got one out to me within a couple of days, which was great. And they got me the latest one, which is, uh, similar to the Samsung is that they uh, the products evolving. So I got the 750 gig, uh, SATA three version. Again, I can't take advantage of the SATA three, but the 750 gig is nice. Uh, so one is that, uh, but the key part of this is that it's a hybrid. It has SSD components and that it has, I think it's an eight gigabyte uh, SSD style cache within it. And it actually uses the, the very fastest SSD type memory. There's a MLC and SLC, I believe, are the two different types of SSD memory technology. So this has eight gigs of SLC uh, SSD cache. And the thought is, is that it's it's supposed to be smart enough to look at your workflow and figure out what you do and uh, and, and speed things up. So I'm just going to give one benchmark here initially. So already I'm I'm pretty much sold that this may be something I want to move to. So I'm going to give you one benchmark. Okay. When I benchmark the Samsung SSD, well, so my rotational is the Hitachi one, which was one of the fastest rotational drives, and that's a 500 gig drive. So one benchmark that I did, and I'm still doing some work on this, but when I tested my boot time on my MacBook Pro, with the rotational drive, the Hitachi uh, 7K500 series, I think it is, 175 seconds. Okay. Okay. it's a long time, man. Yeah. And that's from, you know, seeing the little spinning wheel to when I would see with iStat menus that the drive read light turned off. So that's why I'm defining a startup
0: time. Okay. So when the machine that's- is ready to roll. Yep. Yep. And that's, uh, that's not the first boot. So all the caches and all that stuff are built in in place and all of that good stuff, right? Correct. Okay. All good. right. With the momentous, now the first time I did a, a
2: test of startup time, 60 seconds. So even it being kind of dumb and fresh out of the box and not even watching what I did, it's already faster. Or, or it did some learning, I think. I'm sure there was some stuff in the cache. When I did another, when I did a restart and did it again, then it reduced it to 45 seconds. Wow. So it's learning. So if you just sit there restarting your computer all day, and I'm sure if I did it again, then it probably would have gotten a little faster. Right, right. Um, Compare this to the Samsung SSD, which my startup time with that was 32 seconds. So 45 versus 30. So at least on this benchmark, which typically when you're talking system startup, you're talking about uh, reading a whole bunch of tiny little files and maybe some large caches. But I think for the most part, you're you're reading mostly uh, relatively small files. Right and a whole bunch of them. Right, so yeah. uh, you know, one seventy five versus sixty or even forty five. To me, uh, I'm already sold in that respect. And and the system feels happier. And I'm going to do more benchmarks and, and quantify some more stuff. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it looks like they. Uh, the, the only thing is that I heard they had a lot of issues with it chirping. I think we actually got a question about that a, a few weeks ago from from some of these would reportedly chirp or yep. make a, a kind of beeping noise. And some mm. of them would have would have random that, failures. That I haven't listener, had any.
0: That, it, yeah, you're right. It turned out that listener that had three beeps w- w- that we talked about with the hard drive and said, maybe it's RAM and maybe it's this and maybe it's the other thing. It was actually the hard drive that was that was beeping uh, or chirping, as it turns out. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good to remember that. That's good. And actually, that's a, a request is that
2: if you hear your machine doing something, if, if you can at all record it, because I I, I misinterpreted was being said as the Mac beeping, mm. which the Mac beeping has very well defined meanings for the Mac beeping. Typically it means something screwed up with the memory. But this was the drive beeping or again I, I would call it but once I found some videos on on YouTube, I I call it more a chirp. Yeah. Chirp sure. beep, you know, potato, sure. potato. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. But I'm thrilled with it so far. And seven fifty gigs? Wow. Yeah, that's great. That's huge. Oh again, man. What's that's it, great. What's it retailing for? mentis xt 750 gb let's see do a quick uh no looking like, here, 100, look in here the ballpark's about oh wow i'm actually finding some less than uh yeah a hundred uh, i found one for 150 between 150 and 200 bucks it looks yeah once uh, about 175 seems to be the uh the average price on that so to yeah, me that's, that's cool. a lot of bang for the buck that's great
0: wow huh very cool any notable impact on battery life, or haven't you tested it long enough to to oh none at all okay
2: and that, okay. no uh, I, I did a benchmark so, so the the Samsung SSD, I noticed I got about 30 with, with the battery that I have in, in my Macbook pro. yeah I noticed that I would get about 30 minutes additional uh, battery life really because the power draw at least that drive the power draw on that drive was uh was less. Than my rotational
0: drive. So yeah, oh, you had about thirty big, minutes. You had that big honking seventy two hundred RPM rotational drive in there, right? Yeah, yeah. So
2: okay, that, SSD, makes that makes sense. With the SSD, that makes sense. With the SSD, and I think in general, though, I think you and I battle I think in general, most SSDs tend to draw less power than rotational um, drives. So that's not battle. guaranteed. We may battle on that. That, I, that is,
0: by and large, not true. I think. I think. Some, well, in this, well, at least but, the Samsung one. I did. Yeah, but but remember, John, you're not comparing it to a stock. MacBook Pro drive. That's what I'm trying right. to point out. Is is you have a right? A, right? You've got a 500 gig, 7200 rpm drive in there that is most definitely going to burn way more power than a you know 5400 that that Apple would. Yeah, it do. could. No, well, okay. yeah. I mean in. In all the testing we've done, that that has proven to be true. So, all right. So you're well, in this case you're comparing to a a drive that's already drawing more power than yes. than most listeners are going to have. So, probably this draws less than that. Maybe but even, comparing the two, so yes.
2: comparing the drive that I upgraded to the rotational, which yeah. is the same Hitachi series, but yes, it, it it's it's higher performing. Right. And the Samsung, I would see about thirty minutes. Okay increased battery life. And consistently, I was able to reproduce that. That's so good. Me, the only, the only Delta was that I was running the SSD instead of the rotational. Right. With the Momentus, the Seagate Momentus, no change in battery life.
0: Okay, it's a rotational so, drive. So, well, but it's a, it's a 7,200 RPM rotational Correct. drive. So, most- right. So in essence, it's, I think
2: I looked and it's drawing like maybe two Watts, which okay. is uh, about average, I think for most rotational drives.
0: Okay. So, so it's possible that for people running a stock Apple drive, in their machine that they would see a battery life degradation with this momentous XT.
1: Uh,
2: Perhaps if if you're equating rotational speed to battery life, which it sounds like that's what you're doing, which I'll shake my fist at you because I don't know if I'd buy that, but
0: I'm just, I'm just going on the fact that we've seen machines, you know, with the the stock Apple drives and then you add, you know, if you add a 7,200 RPM battery life goes down. In a very general sense. I'm not saying that that's happened with yours, but I'm suggesting that it has.
2: Right, right. But as far as performance, again, I'm going to say that this thing, if, if you need, if you feel the need for capacity, but you want better performance than a pure rotational drive, then, then I think this is definitely worth looking at.
0: Yeah, no, that's, it's great. I mean, at the price, 150 bucks from Amazon. Holy cow. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah. There's a crazy. 750 gig SSD if they even exist.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Forget it.
2: Yeah. Now yeah. that I think would be way over $1,000. I, I don't think you could get away with a 750 gig SSD. If they even make them. I don't even know if they make them. Let's see. That's a,
0: that's a yeah, good question. Um, No, the only, if, if you do a search for it, what comes up is this, the Momentus. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Due to uh Because it's got number. that in it.
2: Very right, interesting. So, Good stuff.
0: All right. Well, let's uh, why not
2: start off with cool stuff now?
0: What's that? <laughs> why not start off with cool stuff right, now? But right, now we wanna great.
2: get to we wanna wanna shake it up a bit here. So yeah. what are we gonna do now?
0: Well, I'm gonna talk about our first sponsor and then we're going to uh then we're gonna go on to Harvey. But our first sponsor is uh is Smile Software. And this time we're gonna talk about PDF pen. It uh PDF pen for iPad. Uh, It has now been optimized for the retina display and uh, also adds folders and page rotation, which is so cool. Uh, So you can you can spin pages around, which may seem like something that doesn't you know that you you wouldn't always want to do. But man, it is one of the things I do all the time in PDF pen, especially if I get some PDF and it's because a lot of them I get are, are flipped. You know, if somebody, especially if you're doing faxes and things like that, where you or or forms that you want to sign, you're definitely going to be manipulating these things and being able to use the, the enhanced resolution, the retina display make really does make this uh, a better experience. It makes it easier actually to, to m- manipulate this stuff. PDF pen uh, for the Mac and for the iPad in a general sense is a piece of software that allows you to do so much different manipulation and editing of PDFs. You can, of course, take a PDF and rearrange the pages. You can add pages, you can move things around, but uh, but then above and beyond that, you can go ahead and edit some of the text on, on PDFs. Uh, you can fill in forms, you can uh, draw right on it if you want to you can really go uh, go to town on this stuff you can check out PDF pen for the Mac uh at smilesoftware.com PDF pen for iPad of course you can get information at smilesoftware.com but uh but to buy it obviously you've got to go through the app store since that's the only way to get stuff onto your iPad and uh and then with this uh they've also released something uh for iCloud and you can sync with your, uh, the, you can sync with iCloud PDFs from your Mac and your iPad. Uh, they have, if you've purchased PDF pen directly from Smile and you want iCloud access uh, for the Mac app, you can go purchase PDF pen cloud access from the app store. It's just 99 cents and it will allow you, it will add that functionality then to, uh, to the PDF pen that you already have. So, uh, so you can check all this stuff out at smilesoftware.com. again, PDF pen for Mac and for iPad. And, uh, and there you go. That's uh, I I think, I think that's got it all.
2: And here's a few data points. Yeah, So if you want to stimulate the economy, I found two, uh, two uh, uh, measurements here. So OWC sells the, Intel three twenty series six hundred gigabyte SSD that'll cost you a cool one thousand one hundred ninety four dollars and ninety nine cents. All right, and then the the one I was talking about, Samsung has a five twelve gig. So so their latest one, the eight thirty series, and the retail on that is eight forty nine ninety nine. So you want it? They
0: got it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, okay, so moving on to Harvey. Uh, Harvey has uh, he's got some questions about BusyCal, but but really, uh, especially his first question about BusyCal, really applies to just about any third party application that you might install on your Mac. So so listen here, Uh, Harvey writes for the launching in. Oh wait wait wait, I'm reading my response to him. Sorry about that. Harvey writes having a few problems. I have an early 2007 MacBook running Lion. Every time I open BusyCal, I get a pop up window that says. Do you want the application busycal.app to accept accept incoming network connections? It always says uh it says uh allow and I can allow or deny or and always allow. And I always click always allow. Uh it can says I can go in and change this uh in the system preferences in the firewall setting of my Mac so that it doesn't ask me all the time. I have done this. I go into security and privacy settings, I click on firewall, and then advanced, and I added BusyCal to the list of programs that I want to always allow incoming network connections. Yet, each time I open BusyCal, it does the same thing. Any thoughts? All right. So we'll answer this question and we'll dive into the second one. Yeah. This is um there 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 are two reasons that you might get this error. Uh number one. It is if you don't have this persistent setting, which obviously you do. You've gone through and done that. But that that's one reason if you tell it that you want it to ask you, obviously it will. Number two um, is if Mac OS X thinks that this application is no longer code signed. and And what we mean by code signing here is the developer, in this case, busy Mac software, Uh, registers with Apple and Apple says, "Okay, yeah, we know who you are. And Apple gives them a little snippet of code that they can embed into their application. And when OS 10 sees this little bit of code, it says, aha, we know. uh, Apple says we know who you are. And if you screw some user, we know how to find you. So we're going to go ahead and grant your applications the ability to have some persistent privileges that you can't get if you don't code sign. Uh, and, and so in theory, uh, this, and, and busy Mac is one of these. So in theory, this problem shouldn't be happening, but this code signing thing in OS 10, especially with regards to this firewall thing can be very, uh, tenuous and the solution, it sounds crazy, but the solution is to just delete BusyCal. You don't need to delete your data. You don't even need to delete your preferences, just delete the application and download a new version. And, you know, reinstall it from uh, from the Web or or if you have a disk image, you can just reinstall it from the disk image or the CD or however you want to get it. Uh, but putting the application back on your Mac fresh almost always will solve this problem unless you have something to add. John.
2: John? Yes. OK. Yeah, no, I'm here. No, I was All just uh, right. thinking. Okay, all right. Well,
0: that thinking is good.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm thinking back, and, and we saw this actually happen. So, so we've had people had a similar problem, uh, oddly enough. Though we'll we'll shake our fist at them <laughs> multiple times. iTunes.
0: Yeah, right. I, I think I remember this happening as well. That's right.
2: And what happened, I think, is that, and it was doing a software update update of iTunes, and I think they. Either something bad happened on my computer or I think maybe the package that they created was not created properly because all of a sudden and, and people wrote in on this and said, well, I'm, all of a sudden it says iTunes wants to know if it can accept incoming connections. Should I allow this? And it kept asking this question and it was the exact same thing. Their yep. Their code, the snippet. in in the application that was supposed to be the signature was either not there or corrupted or or something bad happened. And the way to solve it was yeah to delete iTunes, redownload it, reinstall it. And then you wouldn't get the silly error anymore. So cool. All right. And we saw this problem too, actually with the support article. So uh, shaking fists at people here, but you know who did this? It was uh, when I first got the Drobo, Dave is that, you know, I was running the Drobo uh, console or uh, Drobo dashboard software. And it was like searching for Drobo, searching for Drobo. Of course, the one that we have is an IP based one. So, uh, you know, connections may have to go through the firewall. And I couldn't see it. And I'm like, what's going on here? And I went to their support and they said, oh, yeah, by the way, look in, you know, the Apple firewall and they have uh, two things, uh, one called DD Service D and one called DD Service 64D. And guess what? They were marked as deny incoming connections.
0: Yeah, that's 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 why I couldn't
2: see the Drobo. As soon as I changed it to allow, then all of a sudden their dashboard app worked worked fine. Yeah. That it saw it, but otherwise it, it was like the, it didn't exist
0: on the network. <laughs> that's a, that's a problem that was introduced with lion because lion mm. kind of in, increased the, uh, the, the hoops through which an application or the bar above which an application must rise. And because those are separate apps, they don't fall into, they don't inherit the code signing that the main app gets, right? So when you run Durobo dashboard, uh, and it says, you know, can I talk on the network, you say, or app or OS ten asks if it can talk on the network and you say yes, that it that permission does not fall down the chain to these helper apps that get launched. So it, it requires app developers to think a little bit differently about how they're making their apps work, uh, because, uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, you had to go to the support article and, and do this little workaround. And there are many pieces of software that that that's the case with. And it's just it it is what it is for these these packages that use these. You
2: know, a little helper app now, and from what I understand, not too much of a tangent, but it's going to be important. But I believe Mountain Lion is going to. What was the name of the technology? But I think Mountain Lion is almost. I believe Gatekeeper is going to require all code to have some form of signature. I don't think it's going to be as draconian as you know going through the App Store. No, but I think it's going to it's going to clamp down, and and I think it's going to be a good thing because it's going to prevent you know, malware uh, or at least, you know, should help guard against it. But, but I think they're, they're right now where it's kind of a hit or miss thing in, uh, in lion. It's, it's going to be almost required in uh mountain lion. So uh, get ready folks.
0: Yeah. Well, there's three, there's three settings for gatekeeper. It's, um, you only run code signed apps, um, only allow code signed apps to, or only allow gatekeeper apps to, to do, uh, certain things and then al- uh, and then allow anything and i and it will start with the Ooh. the middle of the road, which is what it should it you know essentially gatekeeper apps get the privileges that we 're talking about already here uh, but any app can run uh which is good but but yeah if you set it to only allow you know um gatekeeper apps, then you know that 's that 's your that 's your choice but yeah we'll we 'll talk more about that as i think apple 's still kind of tweaking out exactly. You know how Apple is. They they release these developer previews and they float these grand ideas. And then they I think they I think they I mean, they come out of the gate and they say, here's what we're going to do. And this is the way it's going to be. And then they kind of stop and they listen for a really long time. And of course, out of the gate, you know, for the first week, people are going to be up in arms. They probably you know, they probably read all that, but they sort of don't let it impact them. And then over time, they just sort of sit and listen and see what real developers come up with and and look at their support boards and look at the the feedback they get. And then by the time they release it, they kind of, you know, have 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 considered all of this feedback. And sometimes they they don't change their mind and they stick with their initial position. But many times we've seen them where they they say, okay, uh, you know, we've thought about this and we've come up with a better way, you know, and and uh, and that's not bad. So so, uh, yeah, it's probably. Probably best to kind of wait on this and and talk a little bit more once we once we get some final details about Mountain Lion. But uh, yeah,
2: well, the, the thing that concerns me is giving an option saying just allow anything to run because at that point you might as well not even have it in place. On the other hand, I remember when Windows tried to do this with device drivers. And what happened is I remember more than once I would get something saying, oh, this device driver isn't signed. You want to install it anyways? And I'm like, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> right. And, you know, the same sort of thing. It's like, oh, why have this, you know, what can be very robust security
0: if the user can just say, yeah, ignore it. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it, The part of the issue is forcing people into the app store. That That's where some of this gets it gets touchy that, you know, that that's kind of where, but, but again, well, as long
2: as it's not forcing app store, but forcing uh-huh, people okay. to code sign and not charging them an arm and a leg to do so and making it easy. So you just develop your app and then, you know, drag and drop it on something and it adds the, the signature and then everything good. That's the way it should be that they shouldn't make it. Cause I don't know if you've went through the iPhone development process, but yeah. they, it gets kind of squirrely and that you got to generate, you know, a certificate and you got to tie it to a device ID and add, it, it gets very, much more involved than, than, than it should be in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah. So, so with gatekeeper, you do not have to, you don't even have to be a, a, a paying registered developer. You just can go in and, and, and become a, uh, again, this is how they've proposed it. It may, this may change, but you can just go in and for free, you can get um, an identified developer, but okay. So there's three sets of rules. Number 1 and I, and I, and again we'll see where the default comes in but um but you can allow applications from the Mac App Store only then you can allow the second option is allow applications from the Mac App Store and identified developers which are people that have gone through this free process and registered themselves and that I believe is what it will default to and then uh number 3 is allow applications from anywhere so the the scary one is that first one. Allow applications from Mac app, app Store only. Um, that could get a little funny. So you know that that would actually be really bad if you ask me, uh, because there are things that you cannot do and then get into the Mac App Store. Yeah, you know, like Text Expander. And I couldn't live without this utility. In fact, I'm shocked that you don't, especially. That was trapped. You don't use it. I know we were talking about it in the pre-show you you being Mr. Keyboard shortcut. It, it, it it baffles me that, that you don't use this, but anyway, it is a utility. I got got to keep, I got to keep people guessing. That's right. It is a utility that I could not live without and will never be allowed in the Mac app store unless, you know, fundamental rules about the app store change. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think they will. And, it, you know, it comes from a, a seasoned Mac developer, well respected in the industry. You know, there's nothing wrong with this app, except that it requires access that, you know, doesn't work in the app store. And that's OK. You, you know, it's fine.
2: So anyway, yeah. well, last I talked to uh, Jean, she was also shocked. Hi, Jean.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, like, you, you got it. I can't yeah.
2: believe
0: you don't use one <laughs> it. It's a it's a it's yeah, and it's 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 frankly mind-boggling but you know that's hey yeah that's how it goes i couldn't i couldn't do these on the fly show notes without it and and you now you know this is your responsibility so you're going to have to find a way what and text expander is you know this is the last show i'm doing them for and our listeners now they're you know they're 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 going to be expecting this <laughs> yeah yeah all right uh question number 2 was uh, let me get back to Harvey's questions here. He says, "Number two, the second issue I have is syncing between iCal and BusyCal, and now it doesn't always work. I don't have, the, I don't seem to have the same calendars in each program, and and that is true. Um, iCal and BusyCal are now both. It's the right way to say this. They're they're both just client apps to the various servers that you can connect to. iCloud, uh, MobileMe, for a little while." Longer, uh, and then uh, Google Calendar, or really any CalDAV ser- server, you can point either one of these apps at, and and they'll work just fine. But what happens is when you point BusyCal at a CalDAV server, it saves that in a way that iCal sees as stuff being on my Mac, um, and it's going to get confusing if you try to use both interchangeably. My advice is pick one and go with it. There's no real reason to use both, at least not that. Not that I've come up with. So yeah, yeah. Make one your default and and go with it. Obviously for me, that's, that's busy Cal without, without question, because it's so much more robust and easier to use. But, but if your preference is iCal, then, then just live with that. But I, I can't see a good reason to want to live in both. So I know it's not really an answer, but it's, it is the answer that I have anyway. You still use iCal, right, John? Sure. All right.
1: All right. Everett. Ask away. Hi, I have a question for you. In your opinion, and I think I know what I would do. Would you either a get a 32 gig iPad 2 refurbished off of the, the Apple Store for 450, or would you get the new iPad 2 or the new iPad 3? Excuse me for $500 and only get 16 gigs. I'm leaning towards the 32 gig. Are there any, is there anything that will come back to bite me later? Like such as what they did with the, uh, iPod touches and old iPhones to not let them update to the new iOS. All right. Thanks.
0: Um, good question. So. Let's let's think about the technology here. Uh, my 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 answer out of the gate is I agree with you. I would go with the larger iPad 2. If all you have is five hundred dollars to spend, do the larger iPad 2, the larger capacity iPad 2 over the iPad 3, because the only there are two major technical technological differences in the iPad 3. Number one is the Retina display, so it's a higher resolution display. And then number two is the graphics chip in there to, to to keep keep up on that. There's also a larger battery, but uh, as far as we're all concerned, it doesn't matter because um, at best, the battery life is the same on the two. And some people are actually finding in, in some of their tests that the, the iPad 2 battery life outlasts the iPad 3. And that's because this screen requires more juice. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint... I don't think there are going to be iOS updates that will, you know, I don't I don't think there's any good reason. It's basically the same CPU and all of that stuff. So there's no reason that Apple would have to leave the iPad 2 behind for, you know, because it's just not fast enough to keep up. There will, I'm sure, be apps that are retina display only. Uh, So be prepared for that. There aren't any yet. Be prepared for that or be prepared for, you know, a loss of functionality of something because you don't have a retina display. That said, we're not seeing a huge amount of that on the uh, on the iPhone. And we've had retina display there with, you know, with with the iPod touch and the iPhone for a while. But uh, but that would that would be the only thing. So, yeah, I, I think if that's your if that's your deal, I'd go and and do that. I'd get the, the 32 gig version and and enjoy John. Here's what I think. <clears throat> well, I'll tell
2: you something that I ran into here and this is i uh, I'm just into the fish shakes or finger. Now fish uh, yeah. shake at iTunes. So, um, you know, I've been installing apps uh, and, and other things on my iPhone. So I have the, uh, iPhone four Verizon version CDMA 16 and I went for the 16 gig. You know, I'm like, well, oh, that, that should be plenty of memory, right? Well, the other day I was, uh, syncing it to, my computer using everybody's favorite piece of software iTunes. And all of a sudden I got a notification on the iPhone screen saying uh, iTunes cannot sync 10 items. Please run iTunes for details. I'm like, okay, launch iTunes. Sure. Um, see my device in the the sidebar. And, uh, and uh, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I think you can guess what the problem was, Dave. Well, yeah, go ahead and tell, tell us what the problem was. Yeah. Well, here's the problem. So I clicked on my device and I looked at the memory consumption bar and guess what? I had filled uh, there was point something megabytes RAM free, uh, not RAM storage space. Oh, I'm sorry, storage space yeah. on the device free. Yeah. yeah the, the, the little bar graph it shows on the bottom. And I'm like, uh, Well. OK, that must be the problem. So I, I went to the, the, the first place, you know, I looked at the distribution of, you know, how I had my stuff laid out. And actually, I, I was on the heavy side of my podcast. I, I saved 10 episodes. So I said, you know, what, save say five episodes of each change that. And all of a sudden the, the memory bar reflected uh, the memory was uh, available. And but but it was the, the notification on, on the iPhone and iTunes were totally useless in diagnosing this. If I hadn't noticed the again, looking at the device profile that the memory was full, uh, I, I, I would not know what what was going on. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is that a uh, 16 gigs may be something that you're, you're, you, you will eventually exceed. So yeah, go for the 32.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it, no question about it. Yeah. You're, you're because, especially with movies and stuff to put on there and, and use uh, you're, you know, you're, you're going to be, you're going to fill that thing up faster than you think, unless you really aren't going to, you know, be playing movies at all on it. But I, you know, I, 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 I do
2: little movies, but, but actually I've gotten another notification saying, Oh wait, you have 400 photos in your photo library. I guess that's a hard limitation on at least the 16 gig device. And it's like, you got to delete some I'm like, Oh really?
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I never, I, yeah, I've never had a 16 gig device or 16 gig iPod or, uh, or iPhone. So I've never run into that, but yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I, I have way more than, I mean, I've got whatever, what do I have? The 64 gig iPhone now. I forget. I'll tell you, but I have you know seven hundred photos or something on it. Yeah, I got the sixty-four. I I learned my lesson. I used to get like the middle of the road one, and I, it always drove me crazy. Probably because I'm always installing stuff and messing with it. And and now I just spend the extra hundred bucks and buy the big one, and it's totally worth it. It's also the cheapest you know way you can because you can you double your RAM. You know you get you pay a hundred bucks to go from whatever the lowest level to the mm-hmm. middle level, and then you pay another hundred bucks and you double completely from there. So it's like better bang for your buck. That's good. More, more storage for your dollar. All right. Everett had an, Everett, Everett had an interesting question. Um, well, well, we'll let him pose his question. Here you go, Everett.
1: Hi, I've had an interesting issue on my early 2008. Aluminum iMac. And the issue is, is that whenever I have a Bluetooth device, such as a mouse or a wireless trackpad connected, I get this really weird mouse delay, like I'll move it this way and then it will jump across the screen and like move, even though I have my finger off the trackpad and stuff like that. And then I also have this issue with my, uh, hold on (laughs) <laughs> I think it's a 2011 MacBook Pro. Um, yeah, 2011 MacBook Pro. Not with the built-in trackpad, but with the Bluetooth trackpad. I did not migrate from either computers. And they both back up to time. I don't know if that's important at all. Um, and this is with both a Magic Mouse and a Bluetooth trackpad from Apple. Thanks, and I'll talk to you later.
0: All right, John, what do you think about this? That's a weird thing. Wow. Well,
2: you know, he just mentioned here, so so we didn't get specifics, but I'm going to tell you because uh, someone else uh, that I was tweeting with uh, yep. brought up a similar question, and he was saying, you know what, my Magic Mouse on my iMac when I'm under heavy Wi-Fi usage seems to be jumpy. Oh. Now, Everett mentioned that uh he mentioned time machine, okay? Now he didn't mention if it's a hardwire drive or or wireless. Now I'm going to assume wireless. Or did he say at a time capsule? I don't know if he, he threw in that tidbit or not.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I mean clearly he's. it's probably safe to assume that he's got some level of wireless happening there. Right. Now the
2: thing is uh, and unfortunately, you, you, you kind of wonder why this is happening, but Bluetooth and Wi-Fi can potentially be operating on the same frequencies. Now, they are using, uh, as far as I know, both using something called spread spectrum, which is supposed to reduce the chance
0: of interference, but I don't think it totally eliminates it. Well, especially so if Everett's in an apartment building or, or somewhere where there's a lot of different Wi-Fi networks happening, Bluetooth may be competing for, you know, Bluetooth uses, yeah, Wi-Fi, you're focusing on a channel and, and picking where it's going to live. Bluetooth kind of, you know, like you said, spreads around the spectrum and tries to find its little holes. But if there is a lot of Wi-Fi activity, even if it's not Everett's, as long as there's well, wi can
2: they all do. Well, yeah. I think they all do that. They all spread it. Uh, again, I think it's all technically called spread spectrum and that the, the, yeah, it distributes it. So as long as you're not on the same channel, you're not going to get a hundred percent overlap. You may get some overlap. Right. But, um, but blue, yeah, and I, I gotta wonder why they do this. So, and I'm just looking at a quick search here and the problem is, so 2.4 gigahertz, what uses this? Well, Bluetooth, Bluetooth does, uh, fi certainly does, uh, microwave ovens do uh, cordless phones do. Uh, yeah. So if you're talking, especially if you're in a densely populated area, you're probably going to have a lot of people using either cordless phones, microwaves, wifi, uh, who knows what else. And, uh, and it could be just a matter of there being too much happening. Now, how can, how can you find out what's happening? Well, you could use, uh, you know, some of the tools that, that come to my mind, uh, you know, I stumbler or what, what's some of the others? Uh, Air, Air what, radar. What's your favorite, Dave? Okay. Air radar. Yeah. yeah. I think you got to toss him some money for that, but, uh, yeah, you do. Trial.
0: Yeah. It's a, I, I like it better than I stumbler. It, it tends to, it, it shows a little more detail and, um, and anyway, you know, once you bought it, then, then, it then you got it. So sure.
2: Yeah. yeah I stumbler, you know, it's, it's, it's a freebie. Right. Um, so so I like that, that you can donate to them. And I, and I believe you can, if, if, if you can, then I have. But uh, one thing you may want to consider is, so first you got to think about what things are within my control. Well, one thing that is within your control is the frequency that your base station is on. So... You know, or you could try to (laughs) eliminate the uh, competing uh, Wi-Fi base stations. But, you know, that could be difficult in a (laughs) densely populated area. (laughs) So the best you can do. And actually, I had to do this the other day. I was having connection problems and, uh, you know, I did a rescan of my neighborhood and I noticed that some things had changed. Uh, As far as, you know, uh, new neighbors having, you know, things on channels that I used to occupy. So I'm like, oh, well,
0: I'm going to go to the other one that has less population here. That's a, that's a good piece of advice right there. Actually do, you know, every six months do another scan. And I, I mean, I live, I'm, well, I'm not totally out in the woods. I've got neighbors within yes, reach of me. Well, but I'm not totally isolated here. I mean, I'm certainly within range of my neighbor's networks. And like I said, we had some people moving across the street and they're, I mean, their house is far away. This guy must have a honking router. It's some Cisco thing, but, um, you know, it, it definitely impacted what we do here and I had to make some changes and, you know, our Sonos runs on its own wireless channel and, you know, all this other stuff. So, yeah, it you know, yeah, it's worth, that's a good that's a good idea. Do that every six months. Just run I like like John said, run iStumbler or AirRadar and just see what's around and, and then tweak yours if you if you can.
2: Or I mean, the other thing is, if you can, you know, if you're doing Wi-Fi and, and you're cool with it, maybe switch your Wi-Fi to five gigahertz. And eliminate that as part of the equation, so there are some downsides to doing that, but if all your devices can support it uh, and and you can get away with the relatively you know shorter range, yeah, then maybe that's another option in my case, I can't because like my my Tivo you know r- right now that's the only thing holding me back. You know, I got to take your advice at some point to even get one of the power line adapters. Cause the only thing holding me back, I think in my household is my TiVo, which is an 802.g device. So I have to put my, my time capsule in compatibility mode. Yeah. I'd be curious. If it wasn't for that, then I think every other device in my house can run on five gig. AM, no, which- not your, not
0: your iPhone. Oh. oh. Your your iPhone does N but 2 gigahertz N not 5. Apple. But at least I could take the device out of compatibility mode, which that may help. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it probably would if the Tivo's doing a lot of chattering on the network. All right. So uh all right, Tim is up next. Tim asks uh Earlier this week, I mistakenly deleted a file and I emptied the trash. I thought, no problem, I'll just retrieve it from Time Machine. However, I couldn't because my Time Machine stopped backing up around April 15th. No warning or anything. It just stopped. I tried to force a backup and it stayed in preparing to backup state forever and never started a backup. I have two iMacs backing up to one Time Capsule. I checked the other Mac and its last backup was also around April 15th. I ended up erasing my time machine and creating a new backup and all that now works fine. I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on what may have happened. I think I can rule out a bad time machine preference file since two iMacs stopped backing up. Could this be my time capsule is failing? All right. So first of all, this is, you know, another word to the wise here. Uh, Number one, time machine does a really bad job of alerting you when it has a problem and does not complete a backup in that it does not alert you. Right. Uh, It it does. I mean, sometimes it does.
2: I've seen it in the preference pane. Sometimes it'll say, you know, backup delayed, but I don't think it's proactive. No. About telling you that. And then you have to go to time machine preference pane and you will see, let, let me bring it up right now, time machine. And you'll see in the latest, like even now I'm looking latest backup, and in red letters, it says delayed, and there's a little I. And I click on the I, and it says, oh, time machine error. The backup disk is not available. But I didn't get any proactive notification that this was a problem. Now, this one, I think, is a problem because typically the Drobo sometimes doesn't mount as quickly as time machine would like. Or at least when I wake my machine, that's the only thing I've seen. So sometimes I'll get this notification. But again, unless I looked in the in the time machine pref pane,
0: uh. I wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. You can also see it in the menu bar. Sometimes you'll get an exclamation point on your on yes, your time machine yes. and you Good can point. click on the, the menu option, even if there's no exclamation point and see at least when the latest backup was. And it'll give you a little bit of status there. But but the point is, there is no warning that says, hey, you haven't backed up, you know, at, dude, this is a problem, you know. So um, so th- so that, that that's number one. Number two. You listen to Mac Geek so you know that one backup ain't enough, right? You, you got to do two, you know, be that a clone or something three, so that you've got. Three, th- sir. Th- I, I know. Yeah, th- I agree. And then you got to <laughs> archive, but, you know, but at least not one. You have to have more than one if you want to truly be backed up. So, so that's, that's that. Now, as far as what happened, I, I I all the circumstances would point to it being the time capsule because it happened on two different Macs at the same time. Now, maybe uh, your time capsule, for whatever reason, went offline and caused your backups to get corrupted if two things were backing up simultaneously. Because, of course, the computers don't coordinate with each other, which also sucks because, you know, you're contending for network resources and, and disk resources, uh, you know, when when that's happening. But. Thank you, Apple, for not making Time Machine smart enough to do that and then selling us the time capsule. But um, but that's that's kind of how that goes. So I I would I would keep a weary eye on your uh, maybe even a sharper than weary eye. I'd be weary of that time capsule is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Keep an eye on it and see what see what happens it may be that it was just some you know file corruption thing but the disc is okay but but keep an eye on it and get another backup going too just in case that time capsule fails that's uh that's my advice that i'm sticking to it there is there is okay. a little cool stuff found we can add about this john um well jim well, i want to well okay I was well, going to say one thing is
2: ahead. that where you what where do you want to look? I would look also, Dave, in the console because the console reveals much that is hidden. Yes, and that the one thing that I've seen a lot of times, and this is when I I get wary when I when I see a time machine backup and and uh, well, you can see it in the time machine menu in the menu bar, but it'll say indexing backup. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? But also the console, if you filter on backup D, will show you. Uh, probably will show you why it gave up trying to do a backup you got to filter on that because you know the console is full of all sorts of you know wonderful geeky stuff and and you don't want to get overwhelmed so um i've seen that too and actually actually i'm reaching back and i think i had a situation where for whatever silly reason my machine was not backing up my macbook pro it, it would just give up and then when i use something uh oh, I forget the name of the utility, but there's utility that shows you the contents of a time machine backup, and it uh, showed that numerous backup, ones backup, were zero.
0: Backup loop is the the one I've used. Uh L O U P E. We'll put a link in the show notes. But that
2: yeah, there's another. There's another that's a freebie that I can't remember, but I'll put that in the show notes as well. Okay. But um, but I think what happened is that I think I eventually fixed the problem, in that I think I booted my machine into safe mode, which is something that it fixes a lot of things that may be broken or, or it kind of huh. does a reset on a lot of things on your machine. And there's of course an article about that. We'll link to that as well. You'll just love the show notes if, and when they come out, no, when they come out <laughs> No, I'm running behind on actually the last batch. I still, I'm still working on updating them. Sorry, but, um, but no, I I had a problem where at one point I was like, what's going on here? And, and I looked with the, the, the other tool, which I'll link to, and I saw that uh, backups had occurred, or, or no, well, well, there were there were placeholders, but it said, well, the size of it is zero bytes, and I'm like, what? And then I looked in the console, and it was like, well, there's some other thing wrong, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know how I came up with booting in safe mode. I know that can fix a number of things, like corrupted uh, kernel extension caches, and then some other things, but
0: hey, cool. it can't hurt to do it, right? It no. Can't hurt to boot in the safe mode, right? No. Uh, no, cause it cleans out a lot of caches and stuff like that. And if that's, if that's your problem, then yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I did want to mention, you mentioned the, uh, the, uh, looking in the console and that, uh, that certainly is a way of, of seeing things. Jim, a, a premium subscriber actually sent in a suggestion for cool stuff found, which is so perfect for this particular issue that I'm going to share it here instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a, a little dashboard dashboard widget called Time Machine Buddy. And really all it does, it's free. Uh, and all it does is takes the logs from the console and coalesces them all together uh, and and filters out all the other stuff and and really kind of makes it easy for everyone to make sense of the time machine backup logs. So highly recommend taking a look at that. To see what's going on uh, because because those logs tell you, well, frankly, far more than you're going to get out of anything else from Apple uh, about about time machine. So so that that that's a really handy thing. Time machine, buddy, we'll put a a link to that in the show notes. It's available from Apple's, you know, dashboard widget downloader place. So, Jim, thank you for for sending that in. All right. Uh, We've got a couple of other little tips to throw in here. Was it time tracker, John? That's just popping into my head as the the other thing that you can use to look at time machine. Is that right? Is that time tracker?
2: Oh, uh, let's see, time tracker, and that was from ah yes, from Charles Soft. Yep, the Pacifist folks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Pacifist, if you got a package and you want to know what's in it, of <laughs> course a Mac package. Of course, then this is the software to do that sort of thing. And actually, I was fiddling around with um no, I was fiddling around the other day with um quick look and apparently they have a tie into quick look so if something is is a uh, quick look compatible it'll let you peek into it cool i don't know if we'll get to that question but no i was experimenting with quick look stuff and all of a sudden i noticed that uh when i highlighted something that a uh, pacifist knew about it said oh yeah hold on hold on pacifist is thinking about this and it showed me the contents of a installation package so definitely worth it 20 bucks uh shareware uh, I, I think it's great but yeah so he also has time tracker which is it's very basic, but it will show you what's in your... Uh, once you mount the time machine volume, it'll show you what is in each backup.
0: Cool. All right. Uh, we've got a couple... We're, we're, we're well over our hour here that we try to allot. You know, we started this show allotting 40... We started... The, the whole concept of this show with about a forty five minute time frame mm. you you folks convinced us that going to an hour is is all right and and of course we stretch that uh but but we do want to wrap up a little bit, but there are two things uh that we want to share with you because they're great little tips, and they come from two of our listeners. number one is from will he says uh i had a uh I wanted to follow up on the backup show in terms of getting a backup computer he says uh I think it's a great idea to have another machine as a, and a bootable backup to allow you to restart immediately. But if you don't have another machine or even if you do, you might want to remember about Apple's Joint Venture program. It comes primarily from the retail stores but gives you a fair amount of support. One of the things they give you is that if you take your machine in for a repair that will take longer than 24 hours, they will loan you at no extra cost a 15-inch MacBook Pro or a 13-inch MacBook Air preloaded with Lion iLife, iWork and MS Office. So, yeah, this Apple joint venture program is an interesting thing. It's 500 bucks and it costs uh, costs 500 bucks for up to five systems. One system could be uh, your Mac, your iPad and your iPhone. So it's essentially for, you know, five people and it's built for businesses. But, you know, certainly there are those of us where, you know, in our homes, we we might you know qualify to at least from a cash flow standpoint that, that you know this extra 500 bucks a year makes sense of course at home you might be able to just use another computer you have whereas in a business you know if everybody's working all day long you know having this available but it gets you this this Apple joint venture thing it's about a year old i, I think and it gets you access to um uh genius appointments faster so if you 're in an area where you know you don 't uh where the genius bar appointments are always filled up that 's uh that 's another little benefit they 'll set you up they 'll transfer stuff over they 'll do training it it 's basically you, you pay your five hundred bucks and then you're um you know you kind of get the support that you need from apple uh each year so so definitely worth uh worth checking out uh John, you want to, uh, you want to tell everybody about, or you want to read people Duffy's, uh, uh, thing about the printing?
2: Duffy. Hey, Duffy. How's it going? All right. Hold on. Uh, there we go. Good stuff. Oh, wait, hold on. Mm -hmm, Duffy. All right. I'm just going to spit it out here. Go. So if you have, if you have problems, yeah. So Duffy touched on this and he wrote to both Dave and I, I guess about this, uh, Sometimes your printing system just gets totally messed up and you can't print. Here's how you get around this. So if you have a problem printer, so how do you get to your problem printer? Well, of course you go to system preferences and you click click on print and fax and you'll see a list of printers on the left side or some other things. Now, in my case, I see my inkjet and I see my laser printer. Well, say things are just not printing. Well, what do you do? What do you do? Well, what I would do, Dave, is I would control click on the printer itself and you will see a choice here. Well, you see two choices or you should. One is set default printer, which you can do that. The other is reset printing system. And to the best of my knowledge, what that does, that basically clears out everything that has to do with that printer and starts it from scratch.
0: Yep. Well, no, that's not what it does. I mean, that's one of the things it does. It deletes every printer you have and starts your entire printing system from scratch as though you had reinstalled the all the printers. Correct. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you want to do that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a last resort method. You know what Duffy said was he had gone through. uh, I'll read Duffy's email because it's actually a thing. He says it was helping a client, a client with his uncooperative printer. I had tried deleting it and re adding it a few tries. What I hadn't tried was resetting it. And he talks through resetting and he said as soon as I reset the printing system, I re-added the printer, worked like a charm. Uh, unfortunately, it, this was a very old printer using a parallel to USB uh, adapter. And uh, shortly thereafter, it stopped working properly again because the drivers are, aren't all that compatible. So he's sort of stuck in a spot where he's got to probably just get a new printer. That's, you know, I mean, remember, a parallel printer is was never meant to be Mac compatible. but. uh but, you know, in in most cases for troubleshooting, if you've got if your printing system is tied in knots and it can be even once you've deleted a printer, you just wipe that out and start from scratch. It does require you adding re-adding all of your printers, but most of us don't have more than one or two. So it's not that big of a deal. So but yes, It, is, it you know you want to be careful about it.
2: No, no, you're right okay and i found an article ht 1341 mac os 10 how to reset the printing system yes you are correct yeah yeah but it's handy it, it you know you what think does it do deletes all queues and jobs resets all printer settings to their default by deleting configuration files performs permission check on the temp directory Ooh, and anything that was there is nuked okay yeah. Yeah. it's the nuke and pay for your printing system
0: that's exactly Wonderful. what it is yeah oh, that's a good way <laughs> of putting it yeah very very good all right, folks, if you want to contact us, you can email us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Feedback or feedback g- at That's right. Or you can call us at 206 666 geek which John is 4335. 4335. I'll take that. That works. Yeah, sure. Uh, you can Skype us to MacGeekGab. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MacGeekab. Really? Yeah, you well, can. If you can
2: find us on Facebook, you could probably find us on Twitter. And if you want to find us on Twitter, the show is well, these are all prefaced by twitter.com. If you want to find the show, it's MacGeekab. You want to find me, John F. Braun, you want to find him, Dave Hamilton, you want to find that other guy that's flying somewhere, Pilot Pete. And of course the Mac Observer is Mac Observer.
0: It couldn't be easier. It couldn't. That's right. Uh, We would very much like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this show and every show into uh, AAC and adding all those chapters and links and all of that good stuff. Uh, We also would like to thank Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace this month includes BB Edit from Barebones Software, PDF pen from Smile, Gazelle.com to sell all your old Apple and, well, all your old Apple stuff. And uh, VMware, you get 10% off with the MGG coupon of VMware Fusion. So be sure to use that. Feedback at is what we said before. Is that what I said? Is it, that what you said? It is. <laughs>
2: uh, well, what else do we need to say, Dave?
0: Well, we need to say, don't get caught, because otherwise...